welcome to MindShift, where we explore how mindsets can help you live a life of passion and purpose. On this show, we'll explore how our thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs shape our outlook on life and influence our decisions. We'll talk to experts from various fields and hear from individuals who have transformed their lives by adopting new mindsets. Whether you're feeling stuck, searching for life's purpose, or simply curious about the power of the mind and how it's changing the future, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to MindShift with Cody and Richard. If you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and follow along for some tools and tips on how to become your best self. Today, I have a very exciting conversation. It's going to be all about chronic pain and really how to heal from it and how to truly heal and manage and understand what's going on within us. Uh, Dina Chopolis is a amazing lady who is helping people understand this really not so well talked about uh, field and how to truly understand what's going on within our body, within our environment and everything that affects how we're showing up. And, you know, if you guys listen to this podcast and listen to some of the stuff I say, you'll understand that everything we do affects how we show up. And that is regardless of what you're working on, but especially when we're dealing with chronic pain. I know some of you guys know that I myself was obese at 340 pounds. I had diabetes. I had rosacea. I had all these things. And when I went to the normal doctor, they would just tell me, this is how it is, you know, put a cream on it, take a pill, whatever. And that wasn't, that wasn't good enough for me. I started researching experts that have actually healed these diseases to understand what's going on within myself and really take my health to the next level. And that's really what Dina has done as well. She dived deep into this. She really wanted to give some tools, some tips, some lifestyle changes to understand chronic pain on a whole different level. So we can just show up better and not have to completely suffer throughout our life. And that's really what this is all about. Let's not suffer. Let's figure out how to do better and let's upgrade ourselves. So Dina, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to be here today for sure. <laughs> We're so excited to, to have you. So let's, uh, let's start with why you really became passionate about this. You got into this, um, you know, from reading some of your bio and from talking before the show, I know you have some people close in your life that were dealing with chronic, uh, sorry, sorry uh, chronic pain mm-hmm. and really needed some extra tools and really to bridge the gap between what they were learning from their physician and some extra tools to be able to show up better and not be hurting all the time. Right. Yeah, I so so that our listeners know, I am the gal that lives just with intermittent pain. I am a migraine gal and come from a long line of migraine gals. Um, but I have experienced, I've lived with it sort of my whole life as far as seeing the experience around me. So um you did touch on briefly about sort of how our medical system, how you weren't getting the answers that you needed. And the first example I had of that is for both my parents' health. Um My mom had a multitude of health issues that went mostly undiagnosed. Um, She had undiagnosed uh, celiac disease. She had post-polio syndrome. She had 
ADHD that went undiagnosed and all these things would have been really great to know, you know, uh, and it all starts with awareness. If you don't have a, uh, a good relationship with the medical field, I mean, you know, if you don't go to get checked out, these things get missed. Also, we have the benefit of time. I think our generation knows much more about health in general than perhaps my parents' generation, but she, uh, lived much of the same experience, uh, as does my husband, who has a rare metabolic disorder, as does my now daughter, who has an invisible chronic illness, live the same experience as the chronic pain warrior does. Uh, and that is um, the gaslighting, the not being believed, the, you know, not having the uh, true, honest conversations because there's not time in the appointments. Uh, it's not patient-centered necessarily, you know, the approach that we take currently on chronic illness and chronic pain. So I kind of just watched this all unfold and I started realizing, oh my gosh, there's so much more than our community is currently being told. And so I wanted to do a deeper dive and really understand what's going on and what what more can we do can what tools like you mentioned off the, the get-go there can we incorporate and if I can just touch on the word healing because that's one of the words that might just bring up the blood pressure of some of our listeners um for some especially if they have like a degenerative disease may never get to that healing place but I'd like to say that there are many different ways of healing. Um, sometimes we use the word recovery uh, because recovery can mean different things to different people, like getting back to work. You may still live with pain, but we, you know, we can get back to work. So I know we'll talk about this, but uh, there is just a little bit of a distinction between the two for sure. Well, yeah, I can absolutely agree with that. My experience with um, chronic pain, I, I do have migraines, um, but my mother actually had a, um, a tumor in her neck that cut off her, her nervous system from her head down. Mm -hmm. And so when it came back, it was like a reboot, but now it's just pain. Uh, all she feels is pain. Um, it, sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it's like super cold on the inside, hot, like the nervous system is just disconnected. They said it was the equivalent of the, the spinal bruising was the equivalent of being hit from behind in a car that's sitting still and the car that hit you is going 60 miles an hour. Oh yeah. And so, and it would just put all that pressure on to where the whole body became disconnected from the brain, but it didn't, it, there's no damage. It was just right. that much pressure is that the electrical yes. uh, flow was actually haltered, stopped. And so right. now she deals with that chronic pain and it is hard because no one really knows what to do, but hand her pain pills and she doesn't want them because she's, she actually gets pretty, uh, pretty nasty on them. And she knows she does. Yeah. It's not fun. Well, there's lots we could talk about with that too. I mean, um, because all pain, all pain, is um, psychological and uh, social and biological in nature. Or in other words, uh, they're always, always emotional and physical at the same time. And so not only is your mom going through the physical pain, but there's the emotional side to it that they play off each other. And so if you're not being told that, then it's hard to sort of work with that piece that you can actually work with yourself, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She's always working on it as well. So I'm super excited to hear some of what you have incorporated because I'm going to take it and go tell my mom. Be yes, <laughs> like, hey, you should try some of this stuff or that maybe contact her. Sure. But um, 
some of my questions is, is with that emotional, physical, and mental, do you find it that it's usually a balance of the three? Or do you ever see it that it's one is stronger than any of the others and, and it's unique in every patient? Or is it always yeah. just that one that's the strongest kind of, do you see what I'm getting at? Great is- question. Yeah, absolutely. Uh and, and I think our brains like to go that way, right? We are, especially in the medical model, we can be a little reductionist in our approach. You know, we're used to, okay, if there's a heart issue, we give heart medication. If there are problems with your kidneys. So it's easy for us to go that way. I do believe, yes, you said it perfectly. Everyone's story is a little different. Everyone's um, recovery is a little different. Everyone's um, health <laughs> story is different. So uh, it's, hard to address which one might be more so it also this is where it gets so complicated i'm sorry i'm stumbling on my words but there's just so much to say chronic pain is extremely complicated uh and i'll explain that in a moment but as far as getting back to your question it really depends on the person depends on the situation it is always going to be both the emotional and the physical but sometimes depending on your lived experience your past experience the way you are brought up the situation that may be brought on that pain uh, is different for everyone. And so when it comes to pain, everything matters. And this is where it can get a little complex. So for example, um, let's say someone's in a car accident and this is actually one of my clients uh, was in a car accident. Um, The vehicle that hit her was a white car. Uh, And so, you know, fast forward to the end of her story White cars are triggering, the smell of burning rubber is triggering, the sight of sunshine on the windshield sort of is one of the triggers as well, because all of these things add up to the pain experience. And so um, maybe to make things a little less complicated, if I can break it down into two pieces, sort of the acute pain and the chronic pain, because this is where we tend to get tripped up a little bit. Um, Is that okay if I dive into that? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, I get a little excited. I I can talk a little fast because there's so much to share. Um, The acute pain is when you are, uh, you know, experiencing an injury, you tore a ligament, you broke a bone, you were in a car accident, um, you were um, hit, uh, you know, hard, whatever. Those are sort of what we know to be originating pain. Um, so it's a short-term thing. Um, your body is so good at producing pain and pain is so strong that it sort of changes your behaviors. So pain happens, it stops you in your tracks and that's what it's meant to do. So that with acute pain, you stop what you're doing and you allow your body to start healing right away. So that's an important distinction. Um, pain is meant to protect. That's If that's all our listeners get out of today's message, that's the most important thing. Pain is meant to protect. Now, chronic pain is after three months or so, after the healing should have happened, uh, but there's still pain, then we get into a much more complex process uh, and it becomes multifactorial. So, you know, it's, it's brain, it's nervous system, it's your immune function, it's nervous system, it's, sorry, the whole, all our systems come into play with chronic pain. The confusing part is that they both feel very much the same. And so when someone lives with chronic pain and the doctors are telling them, nope, images are showing you, everything's fine. I don't know what's going on here. 
chances are pretty good that, you know, you've checked all your red flags, you know, there's nothing going on in there. It's chronic. And it's a result of the system going a little bonkers. <laughs> your nervous system becomes really hypersensitive. Kind of like in the backyard, if you had a, a like a light or a motion detector, and every time the wind blows through every blade of glass, pardon me, every blade of grass uh, sets off this motion detector. That's kind of like our nervous system. So chronic pain becomes this oversensitive or the sensitization, we call it. Uh, so the two are a little different. Both aspects of pain are meant to protect. It just means that chronic pain goes a little wonky um, and creates a whole cascade of challenges. And so if we understand that you can live with both, that's where it gets complicated. Your mom is a good example of both. She's got this biological issue that's going on, but there's likely, and there are 100%, these psychological social aspects that are going on as well. I absolutely love how you how you really explain the two and help people understand the difference between the two because there is there's a huge difference you know I'm I'm a massage therapist and one thing that was really really awesome about the way I was trained is it was in the eastern modalities and in eastern modalities is about energy first yes and when we truly understand this then we can understand the, what our system is actually doing and when we're in chronic pain all the time our nervous system is hypersensitive it is hyperactive we are not able to ever fully relax or rather rarely fully relax simply because there's always this signal going into our body saying this hurts, I'm in pain and causes inflammation to try and actually protect us. That's what our body is doing because it doesn't know the difference. And when we can absolutely help people understand this, mm -hmm. then we can help them release some of those tensions and, and heal. I know for me, I've had surgery on both my knees. Mm -hmm. I have pretty much zero meniscus in both sides of both my knees. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, you, you understand. And yeah when you know there's different things happening my knees hurt and the last thing i want to do is get up and go walk or get up and go and you know walk to the park and meditate or things that i actually know is absolutely going to help me mm -hmm. but this pain signal is telling my brain mm -hmm. no let's let's sit ice it rest whatever and that is actually not necessarily helpful now i'm not saying if you did re like when I do hyperextend my knee, which does happen. And then the inflammation, you know, goes crazy to maybe not, you know, go for a walk right after that. But in those times when it's not crazily inflamed, one of the best things we can do is get up and move is get up mm -hmm. and go and do some sort of calming activity to actually remove the pain. And one thing that I find is really interesting is some of the people I've worked with and some people that are actually very close to me have Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. And almost a hundred percent of the time, I would say pretty much a hundred percent of the time, they have had a hard time using their voice. Mm -hmm. They've had a hard time being heard. And I found this really, really interesting simply because the energy that we actually put into things mm -hmm. affects how it shows up. And then it, you know, becomes a thyroid disorder, which can become full-blown Hashimoto's. And, you know, if we, I don't know if you know who Isabella Wentz is, who has the, the Hashimoto protocol, but oh, yes. yeah, yeah she's, she's absolutely incredible. And it's mm -hmm. all, all about this. Mm -hmm. And so I just find it absolutely fascinating the, the work you're doing and really bridging the gap between understanding that 
everything we do affects this, you know, from the, if we move, if we actually get out and go for a walk, if we get sunshine, if we're bombarding ourselves with terrible information, you know, everything is going to actually going to affect how our body shows up. So what I'm curious is when you're helping people bridge this gap between physician and patient and understand really the, the movement, the tools, what are some of those self-care tips that you'll give to them specifically to kind of help calm that nervous system and kind of lower this reaction within their body? Right. So two things I would say. Um, the first thing that I think is really important uh, is just that awareness piece. So if I can unpack that a little bit, the awareness, once you start to understand a little bit more about how chronic pain works, then you can start to work with um, your systems, uh, understanding that getting out and moving is not necessarily creating harm. Again, there's a couple of things to unpack there and I'll get back to that, but starts with awareness. The more you know, the better off we are. Actually, one of my favorite uh, pain researchers is out of Australia. They are doing some amazing work. Dr. Laura Mosley and Dr. David Butler, they are the ones that are um, really sort of pushing the envelope around pain education. And so um, they are saying, understanding pain changes pain. And I completely agree. So that's sort of the first piece. Then once we understand what's going on in there and understanding that chronic pain is a sensitivity disorder, an energy crisis <laughs> disorder, uh, then we can start to understand, okay, the importance here is calming my nervous system. So if I know that chronic pain is, is that sensitivity, that constant fight or flight response, how can I find ways to help bring that out of fight or flight into more of the rest and digest. And so I know it's been said a billion times, but this is where self-care steps into things like breathing. And sometimes people get also quite charged about this. They're like, oh, that's not going to get rid of my pain. <laughs> not right away, but is the first, most immediate, most portable, most inexpensive thing we can do to at least get our body out of that fight or flight response. And as a massage therapist, you know all about the vagus nerve, right? There are things that we can do to tap into calming, you know, just sort of stimulating that nerve in a way that creates that rest or digest space, even if it's just for a few minutes. So that's sort of more of the biological state. Okay, so what can we do in the sort of psychological state? What kind of calm can we find? Uh, to allow that nervous system to kind of just come away from that fight or flight or freeze response. And so, you know, this is where it gets a little bit bigger. So the brain with the sensitivity is like it is in the fight or flight response is always seeing danger when there's not necessarily danger. And so we start to work with our clients, um, our warriors to, to learn what is it that's creating more pain? What can we sort of counterbalance it with? And how can we sort of leverage what makes you feel safe? So first we have to sort of, again, build that awareness piece. What makes you feel safe in the first place? What's making you feel unsafe? <laughs> and then we start to sort of work with those pieces. So it's not an overnight process by any means. It does take some time and some work. But when we understand pain, we start to understand that this sensitivity, this hypervigilance um, is a result of uh, 
the, what the brain and the body are doing, then we can start to work with it. That's, that's so cool. When you're, when you're working with those things and really trying to focus on people and starting this process, you said that it always starts with breathing. What else do you usually find that is kind of like all encompassing every single person with pain is this is going to help them is is it the whole course does it, where does it branch mm -hmm. off and start becoming more personal mm -hmm. and that that's kind of my question is just like when we're dealing with pain they're everyone thinks they're unique mm -hmm. and so they don't like being told oh no 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 you're the same but there is a certain aspect we are all human yeah. so yeah some of the therapy is going to be the same but when does it kind of branch off to where it does become a little more unique mm. Ooh, that's a great question. So yes, um, I think if I can be really broad, sort of big picture here, everyone would be served well with learning and kind of that understanding of where pain comes from. So that's where it's sort of the group, <laughs> this consortium, this collectiveness, everyone can benefit from understanding where pain comes from. But then we get into more of the unique sides. Okay, so some people will be further ahead in their journey than others. And so we need to kind of cater. Okay, so where are you on your path currently? Do you, have you tried breathing techniques? Have you tried mindfulness, which again is a hot button word <laughs> because the doctors are saying you need to be more mindful or you need to meditate. And they're like, what does that mean? And why is it helping me? <laughs> so that's a whole other topic. But, um, you know, depending on the person's story. So this is why it's really important to understand sort of their story. So as a massage therapist, you would know that you kind of, you know, the intake forms where you're finding out a little bit about who's coming in to see you. So we like to understand a little bit about the pain story, but more or less their story. So, you know, what was your upbringing like? Tell me more about the lived experience for you and what you're living with. Um, what is your surrounding? What's your environment? Um, so that's when it becomes more unique to the person. So once we understand a bit more of their story, then we can sort of send them off in one direction uh, or another direction based on what their needs are. So hopefully, and it can be tough to do, but we're trying to meet them where they are as opposed to, um, you know, one size fits all. It's, it's tricky. <laughs> it can be tricky for sure. I absolutely love what you're doing. I think it's absolutely amazing how you're tr truly seeing the person. And I think that's where, where this all starts is when you feel seen, when you feel acknowledged, when you feel heard, yeah. then you can start applying some of these principles. And I think, of course, it depends on what's going on with, with that person. Like you said, in, in massage therapy, we'll take them in, we'll, you know, ask what parts are hurting, recent surgeries what you do for a living, all of that kind of stuff. And then we custom form the massage based on them. Right. And really that's, that's what I hear coming across is it's, it's specific to the person, depending on what's going on, you know, in the case of Hashimoto's then, and maybe not feeling heard. Well, how can we bring that out more? How can we help you feel safe? Was there trauma? Were you yes. always told to shut up as a kid? You know, yes. all of that, all of that stuff. And it, it all plays all a stuff. role in, in everything that, that we do and how we show up and really the energy that we've created mm -hmm. as a result of this, you know, when, when we're in a chronic state, our brain is in that beta brain space or that fight or flight. Yeah. And when it's in that fight or flight, your body is actually telling you to move. That is the whole point of fight or flight. You know, it's saying, 
get ready to run away from the danger or fight off the danger. And all of your processes are getting diverted to go to your muscles in order to fight off the danger. Right. And so when this happens, of course, we can't even begin to heal the way that we know is possible. So it's really calming down that nervous system. That's what I really love about that mindfulness that you said, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I was driving, I used to have this horrible issue with bad drivers mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would, it would set me into that beta brain space. And so I actually uh, started using this device called heart math, which would give me uh-huh. instant biofeedback to let me know where my, my brain state was at really, and started practicing those breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. And I love that you brought that up because, you know, Andrew Huberman, uh, all kinds of different people talk about breath work. And why is that? Well, your breath actually controls your heart rhythm, which instantly calms your brain state. If you want to get out of that fight or flight, then just take 10 seconds and start breathing. And literally that's all it takes as, as you already know. So it's, uh, it's absolutely incredible what you're, what you're doing with people to truly help them understand these these parts of themselves how would you say uh, people that are going through this what is the number one challenge that pops up for them when they're trying to apply some of these tools some of these techniques Mm -hmm. in order to get them out of the space that they've been in i'm going to use the bridge um the the gap again because um they are being told breathe right and then that what does that mean and how does that work so we kind of help to help them understand why it's helping them just like you stated you know there is this beautiful biological cascade that happens chemicals released all that stuff from breathing so again the awareness piece comes in but um i'm sorry i forgot your question (laughs) i knew this was going to happen at some point can you just reiterate what was the question? I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just what's the the number one challenge people oh, right. have when they're when they're trying to kind of come out of that fight or flight state? All right. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, okay. So there's many things going on in that state. Um, first of all, if they don't know how to do it, if they don't know how, like most people say, I know how to breathe. Well, if we can just guide you on how to do a simple technique, so like the square breathing people know about, you know, if we can give them a little guidance on how to do it. So first of all, awareness. Second of all, it can be really difficult when you're in that moment of pain, of extreme pain, right? And and pain, part of the, it's not really a pathway, but part of the processing of brain goes through our executive functioning center of the brain, along with our emotional center of the brain. And so it can be difficult to do the things, even if it's just breathing, because we are, again, that nervous system is hypervigilant. So you're thoughts are probably all over. And unfortunately, there are probably a lot of negative thoughts going on. Like I can't focus in this moment. I'm not breathing right. You know, the self-judgment just comes on so hard. So in that moment, if it's just the breathing example, and if you feel like you're not successful in breathing, it is a moment uh, to take a little time out, take three seconds to just sort of take a pause and say, okay, I'm just going to inhale. That's all I'm going to do. And then I'm going to exhale. Don't worry about perfection. Don't worry about, you know, if the thoughts come in and out of your head or not, because they're going to just take a breath and then let it go. Okay. And then you repeat 
and then you keep repeating. Um, it's the psychology, right? We're talking about how pain is biological, psychological, and social. You know, you're trying to do the physical thing, which is the breath, which is supposed to be intuitive, but under stress, absolutely not. <laughs> under pain, it's not. Uh, tackling alongside the psychological, like, why am I not doing this well? I suck. <laughs> I can't even breathe properly, right? So there's a lot of those pieces coming together. So to help our listeners, sometimes listening to something where it's not their own voice helps uh, to get them through a breathing session, um, you know, a meditation session where they resonate with the voice first, they just have to listen, they don't even have to do they just have to listen to the words first. That is probably the first step to helping them overcome any difficulties they might be having in either mindfulness or breathing. Give themselves a little space to do it improperly. Maybe listen to someone else and just give it a try. Yeah, a lot of the times when it comes to any kind of changing, we have to be willing to give the time. And there's this this mindset, and I'm speaking from experience because I I have the worst ADHD. And for me, there's never enough time for the things that'll actually make me better, but there's plenty of time to do anything that's horrible for me. Mm. And um, being aware of that really sucks. <laughs> yes. But I've I've been doing a Wim Hof breathing with Cody every day, and Cody is my taskmaster. Um and it it's funny to me because I do feel better when I do it and I do want to do it. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have that person going, it is time to do this. You cannot do anything else. I just won't. And I, I'm trying to get past that block. I'm trying to yeah. find a way to where I want to do it for myself, that I am my own taskmaster. And it's so hard. And mm -hmm. that's what's going to lead me into my biggest question. Uh, from everything you've been talking about is where do you see the most uh, result with the pain? Is it before they even realize it when their mindset changes versus after time of actually changing, mm. then do they start seeing the results? Because mm. like you're going to see it and they're going to be talking, but you're already seeing that they're healing while they haven't. Mm -hmm. And then versus when they do. So do you see that like reinforcement after they've realized it or do you really see the results when they just dive in even if it's not working in their head yeah that's a great question because i've been in the health field for over 30 years and that's always the biggest thing is people not myself included not necessarily taking the time to notice the little things that may have changed along the way um so i'm gonna get back to that but i just got diagnosed with adhd and it is so true and i'm really curious to understand adhd and chronic pain because when it comes to doing that's our struggle right and doing is already tough enough for the chronic pain community, let alone not producing enough dopamine to help you get the reward <laughs> from doing. So I understand completely. Um, and as, just to get back to your question. So yes, I do believe, um, and that's, I'm a little biased where I believe as a chronic pain coach, it's really important to have someone with you, whether it be another chronic pain warrior or someone in your family who understands what you live with, <clears throat> what you live with, pardon me, because not only are you going to have other eyes on your change to remind you of all the good that you're doing and the changes that you're, you're getting, 
um, because it can be really difficult to notice anything. Uh, first and foremost, most people in this world want pain to go away. And so if that is the gauge, because honestly and truly, most people will not get rid of chronic pain. Uh, they will, they can live alongside it, live a good, healthy life alongside it, uh, as opposed to under its crushing weight, but it will still be there as like a little background noise, um, as opposed to the all consuming, right? That's all I can think about. So it can be really hard in that state to notice any small changes, especially if it's stuff that's going on the inside, you know? So Part of what the work we do when it comes to chronic pain is building not only awareness of how pain works, but awareness around what your body is doing, um, how you're responding, how you react, how you perhaps behave in certain situations. So, for example, if um, I notice that someone has really shifted the, the narrative of the words that they're using when they describe their pain experience or describe how they responded to something, I will let them know, hey, that is... I don't know if you noticed that, but that's a big shift. Like you last week would have explained it very differently. And so they would have like, oh, you're right. If a loved one around them is aware of how chronic pain works, that's why we need to get this message out there so everyone can learn about chronic pain, is that they can also pick up on those nuances and say, hey, you know what? Look what you just did. You just walked one minute longer. That's huge. You know, so it's this constant reinforcement that's really important. As for the individual, like I said, it's really hard to notice when you're in that pain, but when you start to notice um, shifts in your thinking, shifts in, you know, the amount of pain you're feeling or how you feel about your pain or how you respond to your pain, those are the, those are big hitters, even though they feel small, they're big hitters. So it's just that they're not being trained how to look for these things. And that's the hard part, or that these things are even a possibility. It's, it's so true. Uh, a lot of us don't truly understand that it's even possible to not feel the way we do. Mm-hmm. And, and even with me, so all three of us actually have ADHD. I looked, uh, I, I found mine when I did an EEG scan on my brain and found out that parts of my brain weren't talking to each other as a result of a traumatic brain injury when I was a kid. And it showed up, you know, 20 years later on my brain scan, <laughs> which uh, I thought was fascinating. And all of the work that I've done started first with having a mentor, with having somebody out there to help me form these habits, because we're literally trying to form a brand new neural pathway, a brand new habit. When we've had a lifetime of other, probably not so great habits. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's absolutely paramount that we do have those people around us that are telling us, the little wins, you know, I, you know, with the people that I work with, I actually tell them to look back over the last 90 days and let's celebrate all your wins Mm -hmm. because that creates momentum that creates that neural pathway that creates this shift and helps them become aware of the shift that's happened. You know, I think so many of us understand that I'm not to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. There's so much more I could do. There's so much more I could be all of that and like chatter that happens in our brain, but we don't truly look back and fully feel and understand and see the shifts and become curious about it. You know, the curiosity mindset around everything that's happening creates massive change. Yeah. And even when I very first started massage therapy with my knees, going back to that example, 
I couldn't do some of the yoga poses that you kind of have to do in order to keep your back straight to not hurt yourself while you're massaging people. And so I had to raise my table higher. I had to adjust. Mm -hmm. But what I found is the more I did it, the more I tried, the more I was around people that were helping me, the more I could do it. Mm -hmm. And the more that I was able to do, you know, the warrior stance or the the archer stance, all of these uh, different stances to keep my back straight while I'm massaging, the less my knees hurt. And then the lower I could go and get more pressure, all of that stuff that that happens. And so being in the environment of people that are supporting you, showing you saying, Hey, you went a notch lower. That's awesome, Cody. Good job. Mm -hmm. And even though I know this, I know that I have, I would move past it so incredibly quick that my brain doesn't actually latch onto it. I don't celebrate. I don't stop and say, wow, that is a huge win. That's a huge shift. So it just kind of leads me to my next question is, the societal part of this, you know, I think that so many of us feel shamed because people don't understand our pain. People that don't have missing meniscus in their knee don't understand how painful it can be. So, you know, they'll say things like, well, that's as low as you can go. That's mm-hmm. that's not very far. You can't sit cross-legged and you're like, yeah, my knees literally won't do that. You know, yeah. now that I've actually done all this work, especially through massage therapy, I can uh, sit cross-legged, but before I couldn't. Right. And so how do you help people really not feel shame around some of the societal pressures that happen as a result of this? Right. Oh, And there's a lot of that societal pressure, judgment, misinformed, you know, uh, it's, it's shocking. And I think that's one of my biggest learnings is just how difficult it is for the lived experience for those who with chronic illness, chronic pain, something invisible, how difficult it is. And a lot of it comes from an uninformed society. And so, uh, again, I go back to you know, once they can understand a little bit more about what's going on inside, then they can a understand from themselves and then b articulate more clearly to others what's going on and how they can best help them. So, you know, our great example is sort of how our society is really coming to terms with understanding anxiety, depression, mental health in general. Thankfully, I mean, I think that's the only one upside to the pandemic was that, you know, we are talking more about mental health. Um, it's the same thing with trauma. We are not a trauma-informed society whatsoever. So um, I think it's really uh, important for our warriors or those who live with chronic pain, whatever you might call yourself, um, understanding that if I can take a step back here, pain is biological, psychological, and social in nature. And so once our chronic pain warriors understand that the social part and the people around them and the environment they're in is part of pain, then I'm hoping the communication starts to shift around how they talk to others about their pain. It is really tough to tell someone, don't take it personally. (laughs) They just don't know what they're talking about. It's still hurtful. And unfortunately, because everything matters when it comes to pain, the words that people are using, uh, the judgment that is happening, increases the amount of pain a person feels. And so... Again, that's why this conversation is so important, because the more people understand whether you live with pain or not, then the more empathy and compassion they're going to have for people uh, who do live with this. And there are many, many people who live with this. 
So it's important to just, again, have these conversations, understand where it's coming from. If a person with chronic pain understands mm, people don't get it, they already know that. <laughs> I don't have to tell them that, but you know, it's, it's just a misinformed society. I definitely agree with you on the misinformation. We have so many aspects of communication these days, and yet we still can't decide on what's real and what's not anymore. (laughs) And it seems to be getting worse. I don't like it's, it's a, such a weird, like, I guess you could say zeitgeist of our time is the fact that we have this concept that it's getting worse, but communication is always getting better. The, The problem is, is that we're in denial of what, of what needs to be changed because why change what's always been we're oh. we really like sticking to that as a species oh, yes yes <laughs> and, and if i could just dive in on you know the whole medical model so if we were to look at the system in general so i am not at all saying this is a fault of the doctors or the nurses because they are doing fantastic work and a tiring you know often unappreciated work but the system is seriously broken, especially when it comes to chronic pain. And so in, it all starts from there, right? So, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, which I worked with for 10 years, the insurance companies, uh, you know, the doctors, uh, physicians who want to learn more about pain, but are not given that opportunity to understand it's not in their curriculum. So we need to sort of start here as well as here. So we need to get the system a little bit better and we need to inform our chronic pain uh, community that there is more that they can do. So, you know, again, let's try to make it come together a little bit more in the center. When, when anybody ever tells me, it's just like, no, I'm going with the doctors. I'm not going with these quacks or these weirdos. Yeah. I just say, you do realize that the system you are promoting is the same system that thought the little tiny creatures on your hands were a joke when that guy came up with washing your hands, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like they can be wrong. <laughs> yeah. They are not fallible. They're, no, they're not we need to start. Definitely. We need to work together. Like, it's amazing how that resistance is still there. And it's, it's, I honestly, I have hope. <laughs> I do see some shifts happening in just in the chronic pain world, but it's going to be a little while yet. So that's why, you know, those who live with pain need to become more of their self-advocates. We need to uh, empower you to, sometimes that word drives me nuts, but we need to honestly empower you to be the an equal voice at the table for making decisions. Absolutely. I, I deal with chronic pain and it's part of my ADD or ADHD is like, why get up and go do something? Cause I know it will hurt. Yeah. And so if I just sit here and do nothing, I don't hurt, but then I don't accomplish anything. Oh, and I'm glad you got that up. Yes. <laughs> go ahead. So my, my question is, is when you do deal with someone like that, like how do you inspire them to actually get up? Because that's, that's my hardest day. My inspiration is actually Cody. Cody makes me get up and go do things. Money makes me get up and go do things. It, yeah. Like it, It's worth the pain if I'm making money off of something. So I'll do it for work. But when it comes to my wellness, that's yeah. where I'm like, well, it's my wellness. I don't want to hurt myself. So I'm going to sit here and do nothing, but I'll do it for someone else. And changing that mindset of like, no, 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 no. You are hurting yourself when you're not doing it for yourself. And you're still hurting yourself when you go do it for someone else, because you're not doing anything to help the pain. You're not doing anything to help yourself. Mm -hmm. You're just putting your body into more stress or more inflammation. Mm -hmm. And then then that pain's worse. So it makes it harder for you to go do anything you want to do. 
so there's two uphill, like kind of an uphill battle on two fronts, right? There's the ADHD and the difficulty in doing, because I get that. It's always embarrassing being in the wellness industry and not being able to do the things either. Um, and then there's also the, and we could have a hour long discussion on this, but just the fear around movement, the fear, not necessarily of the movement, but the movement, or pardon me, the pain associated with movement, right? So it often hurts to move and there's nothing more demotivating than pain. <laughs> so, um, you know, depending on where you are, like if you're having a low, like a really difficult pain day, a low mood day, a low pain day, I'm sorry, a higher pain day, pardon me, then you're not going to be motivated to move. So, however, if we can just, um, you know, start to unwind the messaging uh, or change the narrative, because our body is sensing danger when it comes to movement, our brain is sensing danger. If we can start to work with that narrative and say, a pain does not necessarily mean harm. And that's where the difference between chronic and acute comes in. They feel the same, but the pain you're feeling, have you actually done more damage? Possibly, but likely not, right? So it's the mindset shift of, it's kind of changing the narrative that this movement is actually helping to bring nutrients to my joints uh, and, and, and blood flow and also lubricants to my joints so that I can move more freely. I am built to move. That's a much different, and your brain has a much different response to that than, oh my God, it hurts. I don't want to do it. I'd rather just sit here and not be in pain or as much pain. <laughs> so once we again can, I'm, you know, reframing is a really important part of that mindset, mindset shift. Sorry, the words. Um, so once we can, and it takes practice, you know, we have to sort of say those words over and over again, because if we don't say it, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't do it, right? Or we don't feel like it's doing anything for us. So we need to do that work up front so that you understand, hey, guess what? You are not doing more damage. Um, it hurts, yes, but the more you do this, and again, within reason, um, there is a formula we can follow, then you, bit by little bit, will start to feel like, okay, it's not hurting as much. And if it is hurting still a lot and you feel like there's more going on, then you go back to see the doctor and you look for red flags and you keep working with that mindset. Okay, maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's not. I know that this movement is going to help me move away from the amount of pain that I'm actually in. It's going to send me good chemicals instantly. I, I love that you went here and I really love the the mindset shift and reframing around this because it is so incredibly important uh, of, of what we're surrounding ourselves, what information we're having. And if we think about anything that we do, we are creatures that are meant to move. If you don't use it, we lose it, right. which is so incredibly true. But if we reframe that even to, if you start moving, if you start using it, you thrive, you get oxygen to those parts that aren't getting oxygen, you get blood flow, you get more movement, you actually unstick some um, adhesions, which, you know, of course, are all about the fascia and getting stuck. And as a result of all of this, you actually do better. And that's why it's so incredibly important for curating your surroundings, like truly what information are you surrounding yourself with? There's, you know, a great book on this called you are the placebo. And 
it's one of the most powerful tools we have us yeah. and everything we do. And when we truly curate everything we're doing of, you know, I'm not doing this because it sucks. I'm doing this because it's helping me to thrive. You right. know, we don't go to the gym and be able to lift, you know, however, 250 pounds right off the bat. It, it hurts. It kind of sucks sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to get there, but you know, the more you do, the more that muscle is going to grow, the better you're going to be able to move, be able to thrive as a result right. of this. And you can't separate the two. Right. And that's what's just so beautiful about this. So when people are, are first trying to shift out of this mindset of, man, I hurt, I'm fatigued. I don't know if I can even walk around the block, you know, and really in that kind of negativity mindset, how, how do you help shifting the shift their mind out of that mindset and give them some tools to really be pay attention and curate the surroundings around them of everything that's going on with them. Mm -hmm. So two approaches, I would say if they're really stuck in the muck of pain and focus, focusing on the pain, if it's really hard to pull away from that focusing on the pain, because that will make the pain worse, then we can use distraction techniques. So for example, if you were knowing, not feeling like you wanted to get out for a walk, but you know you need to get out there because your doctor's going to ask you or your kids are going to ask you or whatever, put on some music that really motivates you or makes you feel calm, safe, inspired, whatever word you can find that's going to you know help move you forward, put on that music and that's going to help distract you just a little bit enough to get out of that focus on the pain so that you can go up and do what you need to do. I think the focus on the pain is um, so challenging because that's what happens with chronic pain. You get so good at pain, at so good at not walking because of the pain, so good at um, avoiding um, that we need to just kind of distract it for a moment. And then once you start doing that for a little while and you get better at it, then you can start becoming a little bit more, spending more time on the awareness. Okay. So how did I respond? How, what are, what's sort of showing up right now so that you can kind of be in that curious mindset, like you, you, you talked about before. That's really hard to do in the moment when you're in a lot of pain, but you know, there's a little tricks you can do to sort of start you on your path. And then as you get a little bit better, then you can be a little more curious, then you can take that little pause, right between that reactivity and uh, or stimuli and reactivity, just to sort of say, okay, what am I feeling right now? What can I do? What's that one thing that I can do? Yeah, there's, there's so much that we can do, yet it's so hard to just do one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so when we, when I specifically, I, I get overwhelmed when I think, oh, I got to do this, this, yes. this, this, I'm, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to go do something that I can avoid it all. <laughs> and, and it's really breaking that down and just really focusing like, you know, one of the biggest things that I that ever really truly inspired me was randomly it's a meme i'm not sure where it's from but it basically just says do things badly because okay. yes. you can't if the reason we don't do things and the reason we don't take that executive function into action is because we're like oh i'm not going to do it well yes. and 
because yes. I'm not going to do it well. Why should I even try? But it's yeah. just like every piano player played the piano horribly before yeah. they played it well. And, and that's the point of practice is to do it badly. So you start doing it well. Yes. And that that to me is a big powerful mind shift in my in my life of trying to manage my chronic pain and i i kind of want to know do you find that people who do things badly tend to be the most successful mm. love this question i don't know if it's because it's my adhd brain or what but i love this question because Yes, whether you have ADHD or not, perfectionism is absolutely a thing. And when there is overwhelm, that's not going to motivate you. And then if there's overwhelm layered on top of perfectionism, <laughs> it's like, whoa, nothing's going to happen. So you're absolutely right. And then, of course, pain on top of that. It sounds like an uphill battle, right? So we really just kind of take it step by step. So in a way, my ADHD is really my superpower right now in the sense that I've created a learning path where we just go little bit by little bit, introducing kind of just the um, need to knows, and then we get into the bigger strategies, and then we get into much more of the, uh, the deeper psychology of it. So it is, it, I believe it needs to be a step-by-step -step process so that we are battling overwhelm. Part of the reason I do what I do is because... The day before my mom died, she said, I can't do this anymore. She was just convinced that was it. She was overwhelmed. And I, and it was, I completely get it. It was stress coming out of her backside every which way for my dad as well. He had said before he died, you know, I cannot make these decisions myself. He was of sound mind. Um, he was just so overwhelmed. And he said, I want you, my kids to make these decisions for me. I don't want people to go through that. I don't want people to feel that overwhelm. And you do feel that overwhelm when it comes to chronic illness or, or chronic pain, because there are just so many things to do. But that's where I think it's really important to allow a little space for yourself to, I know the word self-compassion is thrown around a lot. And that's what it is. You know, it's, it's, it's giving yourself space to be like, I screwed up. I'm going to, I'm going to try again tomorrow. Or I did this one thing so shitly or so craply or so awfully, I'm going to do it again. Who cares? So you're right. Imperfect action is kind of my mantra because that's how I thrive best. Um, and I would encourage it for anybody else. I'm sorry. I swore by the way. <laughs> oh, you're, you're totally fine. And, uh, and it's, it's absolutely amazing uh, how you put that because it's, it's so incredibly true. You know, one thing that, that I'll say on this podcast all the time is small steps done consistently creates mm -hmm. miracles. Mm -hmm. And it is so true guys. Like when, when I'm coaching people with the clients that I've been with, I give them one goal, Let, mm -hmm. let's just write down one goal today and make it tiny, make it a small goal. You know, I know, I know Richard there wants to get to the point where he can do a hundred pushups every single day. And I'm like, that's great. That's an awesome goal today. Let's do two pushups. Mm -hmm. because that's all that matters right now. Today, yeah. let's just do more than we did yesterday. 1% better daily, which right. is tiny. Yeah. And it is so incredibly important. And even with, uh, you know, maybe we did two, two pushups and the next day we didn't want to do pushups. And then the next right. day that we did Co three. Cody, I'm sorry to interrupt, but two pushups would be 2% better. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I just messing with you with your math. 
you're, you're good, man. You're good. Well, one of these days you'll, you'll do one push up. then let's just do that. Great. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start celebrate. And texting you and saying, Richard, you do that push up yet, man. <laughs> but, uh, but it's so incredibly true. And one thing that, you know, one of my superheroes, Peter Diamenda says is fail early, fail often and fail forward. Mm-hmm. Let's reframe our whole thinking because nobody got good at anything without failing. You know, like I I just started going back to the gym and this last week, I think I went once the week before that I went four times. Mm -hmm. That's okay. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop. I'm going to be like, well, I only went once. I'm a failure. I'm not going to go again. I mean, I, I have been in that mindset before. And let me tell you, it does not create anything positive for myself. So just continuously getting up, moving forward, being okay with failing and saying, that's okay. You know what? You still went one day this week and I'm proud of you for that. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go some more this following week. In fact, tonight we're going to be going again. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm super excited about it. So I really, really love that reframe of just take a small action step forward. That's it. And it doesn't have to be huge. You know, in the, in the book I'm reading the success principles by Jack Canfield, he talks about one of the best ways to learn how to run a marathon. And the very first step that he says to do is go and put your shoes by the door. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. So go put your shoes by the door. Yep. The very next day, put those shoes on and maybe go for a tiny walk around the block. That's yes. Yes, and yes, yes. Just taking those tiny steps forward. So I think that's just, it's just absolutely beautiful. And everything you're doing, everybody you're working with, how you're helping them reframe, how you're helping bridge that gap and, and really just heal whatever that looks like, whether it means going for a walk because before you couldn't do it or figuring out how to live pain-free, you know, there's all sides of the spectrum, but realizing that we don't have to continuously live in suffering is so incredibly important. Before I ask you the last question of the day and let you go for the day, where can people find you if they want to go and listen to your podcast, maybe work with you? Uh, where where would they be able to find you at? Right. So um, my podcast is called The Chronic Pain Experience. Um, so you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, my website is paintopossibilities.com, but it's a number two as opposed to the word. So it's pain number two possibilities.com. Um, I have a quiz on there. So if people are sort of unsure if they are even willing to move forward, or if they feel like they're unsure if what I have to say is anything that is helpful, there is a quiz that can kind of help set them up for um, what next steps are. So that's also on my website as well. Um, and that's it. I My membership is called the Change Pain Academy, which is all inside of Pain to Possibilities. It's in the website. They can find it there. So yeah, and connect, like reach out anytime. I'm happy to have a conversation. So thank you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And and for anybody watching this right now, or if you're listening on my podcast, just look in those show notes and I will have those links in my show notes so you can more easily find, oh, D- Dina, sorry, I like spaced your name for a second. That's okay. <laughs> so you can more easily uh, find Dina and work with her and listen to her podcast and, and connect with her. 
So my last question for you today is, uh, it actually also comes from one of my superheroes, Peter Diamandis, mm -hmm. which is your massive transformative purpose, your dent that you want to leave in the universe. So as far as pain goes and helping people dealing with chronic pain, what's, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? What is something that you want everybody to understand, everybody be able to experience through the work that you do? Mm. Hope. Definitely hope. I, I have always wanted health related in general. I, I want people to believe that there is a sense of hope and I would not be doing this if I didn't think there was hope. I also really believe that it's very important um, for our chronic pain community to understand that you already have a lot of the things inside of you that you need for success. Uh, so you're not being told that, you know, you're told things are not working or there are broken pieces inside of you, but your body is pretty damn impressive in how it is set up. Uh, and a lot of our processes and a lot of our innate capabilities are there and, and you just need to start working with them and, and understanding what they are. So there is hope. I absolutely love that. And, and it's so true. You know, if we understand our bodies and how it actually does want to help you and actually does want to heal yes. and the hope, the belief that you can, all of that yes. can completely change how you show up. And yes. I think that's beautiful. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Dina, for coming on the show today. I absolutely love learning from you. I know my audience is going to get a lot from this, this conversation and yeah, just keep doing what you do. You you have a beautiful mind. The work you do is absolutely incredible. And I think that it's something that the world absolutely needs. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you gave me goosebumps. I really appreciate being on your show. You guys are doing some great things. So keep it up thank and you. two push-ups today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try. I wanted to say real quick with your yeah. with your comment on hope, one of my favorite things. Hollywood and our, our society gets things so wrong about old stories. For example, Hercules isn't the son of Zeus. He's the son of Jupiter. It's Heracles, things like that. But one of my favorite things is in the Greek story of Pandora, which is their version of Adam and Eve. Uh, Pandora opens a box and we have it at the Pandora's box lets out all the evil. But actually what was inside the box was all the gifts that were given to us. Oh. And when she lets it out, they fly out, which took away our protection that allowed evil to incorporate the world. But she was able to shut it. And the only thing that was captured still in the box was hope. That is actually the story of Pandora's oh. box. Can I use that? That's fantastic. <laughs> go, go look it up. Go look it up. Read the actual story. Pandora was created by a god to destroy man. And the one man he was given to was the one god that created men's favorite. And he had given him a box that he said he cannot open because it is all the gifts of men. He had given men fire and all these things that protected men. And the gods became scared that man would overthrow the gods like the gods overthrew the titans. So they created Pandora and gave it to that favorite man. And he told her she could have it anything she wanted but don't open that box and she did but it, it's a fascinating story but i just love how hollywood changes pandora's box to all the evil was trapped inside and that's yeah. what but it was and it was a gift and what's still inside pandora's box to this day in greek mythology is hope that was the only gift that was still trapped inside it just goes to show how narrative and perspective is really important
and ancient. So anyways, I, I just love that you gave hope because that's one of my favorite mythological stories is that ever since the beginning of mankind, hope is what has driven us. Absolutely. If we don't have hope, what do we have? Seriously? I'm so glad you said that. So anyways, have a wonderful day. Thank you guys. You too. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Dina. Thanks for giving us some hope today. You're welcome. Have a great day. (laughs) Bye. Bye.